0: I'd like to invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We've been in the uh, final chapter of 1 Corinthians. We've been in the book as a whole for just about a year now. And uh, today we're going to consider the final, uh, what is it, uh, six verses of the book. And so finally, coming to drawing to a close, uh, this uh, letter that the Apostle Paul penned in the mid-50s A.D., and so I'd like to begin reading in verse 19 uh, down to the end of the chapter. So let us give ear to the reading of God's word. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord... Let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you in all, uh, Be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that as your word is proclaimed, we hear the very words of Christ. And so we pray that you would grant to us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that Christ has done for us, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that he has done. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Oh, beloved Lord, it's said that Christians never say goodbye. They always say, see you later. That's because no matter what happens, whether it's here, there, or in the air, when Christ returns, we will all be reunited. And that, as Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, is extremely comforting. And it sets us apart from the world. We can send greetings to one another, even though we've never met each other, because we know that we are united to Christ by faith. And that's precisely what we see in our passage today is the Apostle Paul concludes his letter by doing something that might seem to strike us odd. Typically, when we write a letter, we begin with greetings and we end with our name. But you see, in the ancient world, they did it precisely the opposite. Paul begins with his name and he ends his letter by saying hello, by giving greetings. Of course, Paul didn't write this letter By himself, he wasn't just individually writing to the Corinthians, but he did it as a group. Even uh, as we see in the opening of the letter, he had a co-author, this man by the name of Sosthenes. And so he sends greetings not only for himself. Uh, He wasn't the only one who had close personal ties to the saints that lived in Corinth. But there were several others in Ephesus at the time who had personal relationships. And so he sends greetings not only on his behalf, but also for them. But, of course, also he's able to give greetings for all of the believers living in that region, even if they had never met any of the Corinthians, even if they had never stepped foot in Corinth, because we all are united together by Christ. We are one body. And we see that expressed here in this simple action on Paul's part of giving greetings. And so he starts by saying the churches of Asia Send you greetings. Now, when Paul mentions Asia, he's referring to what we call Asia Minor, which is today, for the most part, modern-day Turkey. You see, Paul was writing from the city of Ephesus, which served as his home base uh, for Asia Minor, from where he would go uh, and visit the the various cities in Asia Minor, whether it be Colossae or Smyrna or Pergamum or Thyatira or Sardis or Philadelphia or Laodicea, all of these cities that we've heard about um, from other letters in the New Testament. And Paul also, we know from Acts chapter 19, spent two years in Ephesus preaching and teaching. And from there, other men would be raised up and trained. And they would go out and minister to the churches or even plant churches themselves. We know that the city of Colossae, their church in Colossae, was not planted by the apostle Paul. It was planted by a man that was trained by Paul and undoubtedly sent out from Ephesus. And uh, and, and since Paul spent two years in Ephesus, uh, Luke could tell us that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, whether it was from from Paul himself or from men that were trained by him. And so he's able to speak uh, for for an entire region, saying the churches of Asia send greetings to you, the church in in Corinth uh, uh, or or in the region uh, in the the uh, Greek-speaking churches. Well, not only the churches in Asia, but also he gives personal greetings when he says, Aquila and Prisca, or as we know her with with the longer name, Priscilla, send you greetings. We read about uh, Aquila and, and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18 and 19. We know that Paul actually had met them when he first came to Corinth. And that they had freshly arrived in Corinth, having come from Rome, since they had been expelled, kicked out, uh, when Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. And Paul, having met them and finding out that they actually were of the same trade as he, all of them being tent makers, he lived and worked together with them uh, and stayed in Corinth there for 18 months. This husband and wife team were wonderful servants of the church. Paul writes about them in Romans chapter 16 and calls them fellow workers. He said, they risk their necks for me. We know that they uh, serve the church. They, uh, for example, uh, explain the gospel in greater detail to Apollo, the Jewish preacher from Alexandria. We know that they also hosted the church meetings in their house in Ephesus. And that's why Paul says, uh, that they, together with the church in their house, send you greetings. Now, it's important to note that when Paul talks about uh, a house church, it's, he's not speaking of it in the modern sense that we speak of people having a house church, that is, they meet in their home apart from the, corp- uh, from the corporate uh, community of faith. I'm not going to go to church. I'm just going to have church in my house. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the church, the church, met in houses. This is the day and age before they would have church buildings. And so where they typically met were in people's homes. And Aquila and Priscilla were some of those who would open up their house. And the church met in their uh, in their place of residence. And so we know, as we've seen several times throughout the book of First of Corinthians, that the church is not a building. It is a people, but also a place. It is a people who are united to Christ and therefore are united together in one spirit who gather together in a place, whether that be Palisades Elementary or the home of Priscilla and Aquila or even a a regular church building as we think of it, they gather in a place to do certain things. That is, hear the word of God and offer up prayers. And so we see here that Priscilla and Aquila are once again serving the church by opening up their house uh, uh, in uh, having moved from Corinth to the city of Ephesus. And this couple really get around because in about two years time, when Paul finds himself in Corinth and he's writing to the church in Rome, we see at the very end of the letter he gives greetings to Priscilla and Aquila who are back in Rome and guess what? Hosting a church In their house. And so we see that these people were probably people of means, since they were able to move to and fro almost at will, and also were servants of the church, primarily by opening up their house for the corporate fellowship of the saints. So they give hearty greetings. And it's fitting in light of the fact that they had spent a significant amount of time in Corinth. No doubt they had personal. they had met people, they, were, they had friends there, personal connections in Corinth, and so it's fitting that they give a hearty or many greetings to the church. Unless Paul leave anyone out, having said the churches of Asia greet you, the, uh, Priscilla and Aquila greet you, he, he has sort of this blanket greeting when he says, all the brothers send you greetings. And then he gives a command which might strike us, as somewhat odd as 21st century Americans, when he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, boys and girls, you might think, that's kind of gross. But you see, the Apostle Paul actually says this, not just here, but in four of his letters. He gives the command to greet one another with a holy kiss. And Peter does the same thing at the end of his first epistle, except he calls it a kiss of love, an agape kiss. This instinctive and universal sign of love and affection, kissing somebody, whether it be on the lips or on the cheeks, is also connected in the ancient world with recognition and respect. You would kiss somebody to show deference and respect to them. But the fact that Paul calls this kiss a holy kiss means that it sets Christians apart from the rest of the world. They would do this in their corporate gatherings Uh, And and this would be a beautiful display of love and unity of the body of Christ. The the fact that they're kissing one another shows that they were all equal in Christ. It's interesting that by the fourth century, the practice of kissing the ring of the bishop began to uh, creep into the church. And we see that hierarchy begins to come back into the church, but it wasn't so. At least it shouldn't be so. in in the church of Christ. We are all equal. And this kiss of love and affection and respect was a sign of that. Well, having passed along others' greetings, it's now Paul's turn to give his own personal greeting. And then we see that in verse 21 when he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now, we may pause and think, well, wait a minute. Didn't you write the whole letter with your own hand, Paul? Well, no. You see, the Apostle Paul, following the custom of the ancient world at the time, following probably what most New Testament writers did, is that they themselves personally did not write the letter. And so this picture of, you know, picturing the Apostle Paul in a room, sitting at a desk with a quill pen, sitting down and scratching out the letter to the Romans or Corinthians, is actually misguided. Paul didn't write the letter to, uh, to the Romans. A guy by the name of Tertius did, and we know that from Romans chapter 16, where we read, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, send you greetings in the Lord. You see, Paul, following the custom of the ancient world, would dictate his letter to a scribe or a secretary, and that person would would literally physically write the letter down on the parchment. Perhaps for this occasion, it was Thosthenes who is mentioned in the opening verses of the letter, or perhaps somebody else. And yet it was Paul's custom that after having completed the bulk of the letter, when it came to time for him to write his own personal greetings at the very end, the Apostle Paul would take the pen and he would write it with his own hand. And uh, as he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is a sign of authenticity to prove that the letter in fact came from Paul's own hand. They'd be able to recognize his own distinctive handwriting Presumably, in letters that would be larger than the letters of the scribe, uh, Paul perhaps had eyesight issues, and he wrote with large letters. That's what he says in Galatians chapter 6, where he says, see what with what large letters I am writing, writing to you now. And yet, not only was this a sign of authentic, uh, authenticity that this letter, in fact, came from Paul, but it also was a nice personal touch as they're able to see something that Paul physically did gives that personal connection to the churches that he knew and loved as they would receive this letter and read it in, the ch- in church. While it was typical for Paul to write his own greetings with his own hand, the particular greeting that he gives here at the end of 1 Corinthians is anything but typical. He's, he has the typical things, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But he also includes something else which is... Somewhat different than all the rest of his letters in that he includes not only a prayer, our Lord come, but also a curse. And so let's look at these things and consider the significance of these somewhat odd uh, distinctives of his greeting here. He starts off with this curse in verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord. Now you'll notice that this is a conditional curse. It's not a personal curse. He's not naming names. He's he's describing a type of individual, a a category into which people would fall. It's not personal. The curses of the New New Testament are never personal, but they describe a particular category. And this category of person is one who has no love for the Lord. If you were reading this in Greek, you would notice that the word here for love is not the same word, That is in verse 24, where he says, my love. There, that word is the familiar Greek word agape, what we might call Christian love. Uh, uh, But the word here, translated love, is the word philos, from which we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This word is actually related to the word for kiss, where he says, give one another with a holy kiss. So perhaps it's because that word for kiss was on his mind that he speaks here of that he uses this word philos as opposed to the Greek word agape but i think the significance here uh the significance here is is that paul does not say if anyone does not love the lord his god with all of his heart soul mind and strength because if he says that we would all be in trouble this curse would come upon all of us cuz none of us love god with all of our heart, heart soul mind and strength but what he says is if anyone has no love Zero love. And so the idea here is it's not, he's not just describing a person who has a lack of love or is somewhat deficient in his love for the Lord. No, he's describing somebody who has positive disdain, hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ. We even use that term today when we say, Oh, I have no love for that person. You despise that person. And that's the type of individual that the apostle Paul is describing here. People who hate the Lord. They should not expect blessings from the Lord, but rather a curse. The word that he uses here to describe the curse is an Aramaic term, anathema. Let him be anathema, the Apostle Paul says. This is similar to what he says in in his opening uh, chapter of Galatians when he said, but if, if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, anathema. As we have said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, anathema. Now, previously in this letter, back in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said that no one, speaking by the Holy Spirit, would ever say, anathema Jesus, anathema Iesus. And I suggested to you at that time that Paul wasn't saying, that uh, that, that Paul wasn't describing somebody cursing Jesus that Jesus is a curse, as it's typically translated in the English versions. No, but that what Paul was saying and what he was describing is that people were not cursing Jesus, but rather praying that Jesus would curse their enemies. And that's why Paul says no one praying by the Spirit of the Lord would ever pray something like that. That is, praying that Jesus would curse your enemies or even your rivals in church. Well, if that's the case, then what's the difference here? What's the difference between Paul condemning such behavior in chapter 12 and calling upon the Lord, or at least cursing those who have no love for the Lord? Well, back in chapter 12, the Corinthians were likely using the Lord's name in vain for their own personal gain. They were praying that the Lord would curse maybe their uh, uh, you know, their business rival or the person that they didn't really like personally or, you know, in order to promote their own status or their own gain. But here, and in Galatians chapter 1, when Paul announces these curses, these anathemas, he's not seeking his own personal gain, but rather the well-being of the church is on the forefront of his mind. And so that's why he would curse any false teacher who would twist and pervert the gospel. Anyone who would want to creep in with false uh, with false teaching, he issues a curse upon them. And here, at the end of this letter, where he had so much to say about the well-being of the church, where he addressed issues such as division and false teaching and, and uh, immorality that were Uh, Creeping into the church, the Apostle Paul has another curse. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. You see, when the Corinthians were dividing themselves over their favorite preacher, saying, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, Paul said, Is Christ divided? You see, their dividing the church was dividing their Lord because the church is the body of the Lord. Or when they were abusing the Lord's Supper by not taking into consideration their fellow believers, Paul says that they were eating and drinking judgment on themselves. Why? Because they were not discerning the Lord's body. You see, since the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, an attack uh, against his church is an attack against the Lord himself. And Paul knew this all too well. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul, He was Saul of Tarsus. And he was marching on his way on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. And yet when he saw that light, the risen Lord appeared to him. The words that he heard were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? At that moment, the apostle Paul knew that whenever you attack the church, you attack the Lord. And he knew that the things that were going on in Corinth were not just attacks against the church. They were personal attacks against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he could have easily have said at the end of his letter, if no one has no love for the church. But no, he chooses to make it personal. If anyone has no love for the Lord, and by implication, and for his church, You see, because the Lord takes it personally. He says that, he drives that home back in chapter 3 when he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, describing the church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So I think it's fitting that at the end of this book, he pronounces a curse upon people who do not love the Lord. And by implication, those who do not love the church, who are attacking the church who are sowing weeds of heresy and discord in the church. And he says, God will destroy you. And here he pronounces that anathema upon any who has no love for the Lord. Well, following this curse, and even following this Aramaic term transliterated into the Greek, anathema, he has another Aramaic term that you might also have heard, maranatha. And so he says, anathema, anathema. And then, having uh, uh, pronounced a curse, he then launches into a prayer, Maranatha, which is translated, Come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. Now, we might question, well, that's odd. It's weird for him to put these two things together for him to uh, to pronounce a curse and then to launch directly into a prayer with these two familiar Aramaic terms, anathema and Maranatha. What do they have in common? When we consider the fact that Paul has just pronounced a curse upon any who does not love the Lord, and by implication, his church. And then when he calls upon the Lord to come, speaking of his second coming, we see that the Apostle Paul is calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ to come and carry out this curse as he anticipates for Christ to come and destroy and judge all his and our enemies. That's ultimately what we're praying when we pray, thy kingdom come. We pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and usher in his kingdom and by implication destroy all his and all his enemies. I don't know if you have that in your mind. We you just the Lord's prayer together. Hopefully you were paying attention when you said it. Thy kingdom come, we're praying. Here come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so it's interesting that the Apostle Paul ends this letter in the same way that the Bible ends. We look at the end of the book of Revelation chapter 22, we see it ends with the curse followed quickly by a prayer for the Lord to come. Let me just read to you Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 18. John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. And so here it's a warning against any who would tamper with the word of the Lord, pervert the truth and, and, and purity of the gospel. There's a curse pronounced upon them. And yet that is quickly followed with these words. He who testifies to these things says, Surely... I am coming soon. Well, we know who that is, don't we? That's the Lord Jesus Christ who testifies and says, Surely I will come and carry out this judgment. And that's followed by a prayer that rises from all of our hearts. As soon as the Lord says, Surely I am coming soon, our instinctive response, led by the Holy Spirit, is Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so it's fascinating that, you know, as Apostle Paul finishes this letter, thinks about all the problems that are going on in the church at Corinth, all of the issues that the saints are facing, the false teaching that is creeping in, the, the immorality that is perverting the church. His final prayer is, come Lord Jesus. Well, for those who have no love for the Lord, they can expect a curse. But for those who do love the Lord, of course, they can expect to receive grace. And that brings us to the final benediction where Paul says in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. See, he doesn't want to curse his readers. He doesn't want them to be the recipients of Christ's final judgment at the last day when he comes. No, he wants them to delight in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he says, may the grace of the Lord be with you. Unmerited favor. Demerited favor. We have done nothing to earn it, and yet we receive it freely from his hand. It was grace that caused us to love, us, love him in the first place. As John says in John, 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. And so it's not like Christ gives us grace because we love him. He gives us grace in order to love him. And then he gives us more grace so that we can continue to love him. Paul's driven that point home many times throughout this letter. Back in chapter 4, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? It's all of grace. And in chapter 15, speaking of himself, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, we are in a constant need for grace. This is why the apostle Paul begins his letter. By saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And he ends his letter by imparting grace to his readers. Well, not only the grace of Christ, but also, and this is another distinctive feature of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul also wants to convey his own personal affection for the Corinthians. When he says, after the grace of the Lord Jesus be be with you, he says in verse 24, my love. Be with you. See, this has not been an easy letter to read. For those of you who've been with us consistently the past year, we have had to deal with many serious issues. And the Apostle Paul has had to take a very serious and somber tone with his readers, whom he regards as his spiritual children. He has written to them as a father, and as a good father does, he disciplines the sons he loves. You know, when I was a child, I received many spankings from my parents. And anytime I was supposed to receive a spanking, I was always assured, I'm doing this. Why? Because I love you. Now, as a kid, you think, it's not true. But when you grow up and you have kids of your own, you realize, no, you're doing this out of love. And yet you need to convey that. You need to assure them time and time again. Look, I'm doing this because I love you. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here when he says, my love be with you. Everything that he has said, everything that has been written, even though he's been angry in this letter, he's doing it out of love, out of a sincere, heartfelt affection for, it, for them. We saw that even last week as he, as he was longing to see them, although he was explaining, I can't come to you right now. And yet he wants to, in the meantime, impart his love that he has for them. Well, of course, this love that the Apostle Paul had for these unlovable Corinthians was not one that he conjured up in his own heart. It was not because they were just so lovable. Well, if anything, they were a very difficult bunch. This love that the Apostle Paul had for the Corinthians ultimately was the love that the Lord Jesus Christ had given to him. Which is why he says, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. He's describing the fact that we are in covenantal union with Christ. That we are all united to him by faith and thus are sharers of that we have the common Holy Spirit together. And therefore there is that heartfelt genuine love, that agape love that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of Christ. And so that's how the Apostle Paul ends this letter, by imparting grace, but also his own personal love to to them, that they all share in Christ Jesus. May God, by his Spirit, grant to us a love for our Lord Jesus Christ, but also a love for his church, as we are reminded of the fact that we are the body of Christ, individually members of one another, And so may we, out of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us, love and serve one another. Amen? Let's give thanks. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it conveys grace to us, and we receive it with our ears. As it penetrates our ears and goes into our heart, oh Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would take to heart the words and exhortations of this letter penned by your servant, the Apostle Paul. Pray, O Lord, that you would cause us to grow in our love for you as well as for our neighbor as we seek to do good to all, especially to the household of faith. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.